it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you've been with me all week long. Appreciate it. We got a big show coming your way. This hour, we're going to be joined by Dr. Tim Elmore, best-selling author of a brand new uh, of a uh, best-selling author of a new book called The New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generation of Your Team a Competitive Advantage. Dr. Elmore is founder and CEO of the Growing Leaders, uh, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization. And Chris Vaccaro standing by. One of these stories that's happening, maybe if you're in one of the 21 states, they're making all these high schools, that a lot of them are on austere budgets, rip out any references to Native Americans at the cost of millions of dollars, at the threat of losing state and federal funding. What a joke. Chris Vaccaro is going to bat for one of them. Uh, Chris, a news guy, journalism professor, but wants to do this in a kind, uh, kind, thoughtful, rational way and be smart about this. In my view, being smart about it is not doing it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe when the republic is crumbling, which it is, we need a fighter, and Donald Trump's that fighter. It's time we have someone that we can take a new generation into town, and uh, we can kind of build on what President Trump started, and Governor DeSantis is a great guy to get behind to do that. Wow, some differences there. 2024, Trump goes for the early goes to finish off DeSantis early before he even gets started and so far early he's doing well rfk jr takes a bite out of biden's polls even though he's only been in one day we're going to discuss the 2024 race today number two i don't really know who would actually have thought the afghan government was going to survive everybody this was the worst kept secret in washington the department simply was not fully prepared for the full range of challenges it encountered um, there were memos to show that they were going to fall apart. Maddening. The insulting denials that the border has collapsed and Afghanistan withdrawal was anything but an epic fail. Both played out in committee hearings yesterday on party lines. I'll bring them to you. Number one. My client wants to come forward to Congress. He's ready to be questioned about what he knows and what he experienced under the proper legal protections. Typical steps that a law enforcement investigator would take were compromised because of political considerations. So that is Mark Lytle. Mark Lytle is the lawyer of a whistleblower who has come forward about Joe Biden. Yes, perhaps all indications are he's set to not only expose Hunter Biden, the investigation that is politically stalled, but a cover up as well as well as someone possibly lying under oath. An IRS supervisor has told lawmakers he has information that suggests that Joe Biden is improperly handling the criminal investigation of the Biden administration is improperly handling the criminal investigation of Hunter Biden and is seeking whistleblower protections. He does not want retribution. Who would? So he sent a letter to both sides, Democrats and Republicans. Uh, He's a career IRS criminal supervisor, special agent, been doing this for 20 years. And he says 
a uh, he wants to contradict a sworn testimony by a senior political appointee of the administration. Supervisor also has information about a failure to mitigate clear conflicts of interest in the ultimate disposition of the case. And they're talking about a case about millions of dollars that Hunter Biden owes the IRS. Two million was paid off by a friend. What kind of friend is that? And also the fact that an investigation stalled when it's a very simple investigation. He owes this money as well as a gun investigation, which I don't think has anything to do with this whistleblower. Speculation is Attorney General Merrick Garland vouch for the independence of U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a Trump holdover who was seeing the Hunter overseeing the Hunter Biden probe. But so far, Weiss has not pulled the trigger. That's where the story lies. Here's the story that Mike Lytle told, not on Fox, but on CBS. Cut one. My client wants to come forward to Congress. He's ready to be questioned about what he knows and what he experienced under the proper legal protections. Typical steps that a law enforcement investigator would take were compromised because of political considerations. Why can't your client talk to us directly at this point? There are laws that provide protection to whistleblowers, and he has to navigate that. Yesterday, Lytle sent this letter to Congress claiming his client could provide information that would contradict sworn testimony by a senior political appointee. CBS News has learned that was Attorney General Merrick Garland, who gave testimony about the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware conducting the Hunter Biden investigation. Would you find any evidence or allegation of a political agenda? No. To him, the truth is one truth, and he wants to come forward with it. Lytle told us the whistleblower has been with the IRS for more than a decade and has extensive documentation to support his allegations. The things he's been through are, are very well documented in emails and other communications with the Department of Justice. We asked Lytle if there's a chance his client can only see his slice of the investigation and not the big picture. Lytle said that's possible, but that his client had expressed his concerns to superiors a number of times before seeking whistleblower status. Yeah, he didn't leak to the press. He's going about it the right way. Unlike Edward Snowden, unlike... I don't know what this 21-year-old was up to, but if he had a problem, he doesn't seem to have had a problem with the administration. He just wanted to be a tough guy and show everybody in this chat room there was an issue, the Pentagon leaker from last week. Uh, and Chelsea Manning, same thing. I have a problem with the policy, so I'm going to leak it out to everybody. So John Solomon broke the story, and he says the key to this is that the guy's got text messages. Cut four. What's really interesting about this whistleblower is he doesn't want to just hang out with Republicans. He wants to face the music. He wants to look Democrats and Republicans and independents in the eye. So he sent this letter to the Democratic side. He sent it to the Republican side. He's not afraid to confront the Adam Schiff's and the uh, Eric Swalwells and all the jokesters who gave us all the bogus stories of the last four years. He, the reason he's so confident, he has the receipts. He has contemporaneous documents it's not going to be in doubt what he uh, provides to Congress. So we'll talk about that. I also want to get to the other thing. There's two investigations going on simultaneously in the House and Senate. And they talk about what happened with the Afghanistan disastrous withdrawal. 
as well as what's going on at the border. And both administration officials just in denial and Democrats doing their dirty work. Anytime you bring up a throw, they go, well, Trump cut a bad deal. As if they don't undo every Trump deal. Trump was conditions based. Conditions went afoul. They got out anyway. The the, uh, army disappeared. They still got out. They left all our stuff there, millions of stuff there. And they left our people there. They got our army out first. It was a joke. It was terrible. You would think Democrats would admit it, but they don't. And when they go to do investigation, they do a whitewash that lasted 15 pages. That was released the day before Good Friday, and the president was en route to Camp David. They don't want any questions, but real investigations are taking place and have taken place. And people who are on the ground still trying to get the 175 or more out and still wonder if the why the money is going to Afghanistan and what guarantees we have that the money that is flowing out of our coffers to Afghanistan isn't going to the Taliban. Nobody can answer those questions. So the special inspector general for Afghanistan reconstruction was irate and he was passionate. And he's on as an inspector general, not a politician. His name is John Supko. And he let Democrats and the world know how frustrating it is, frustrating is trying to do an inspect, trying to do an investigation when the administration is not cooperating. Cut seven. I don't know who is telling the administration there were 300,000 Afghan soldiers and police toward the end. Nobody we talked to ever said that that number was near there. We had reports that half of those people were probably ghosts. We were paying their salaries, but they didn't exist. And that is just some of it. And he just talked about the lack of cooperation from the State Department. You know why? Because everybody knows that they're culpable. All right, Brian Kilmichon, when we come back, the story in schools. No, not reading, writing, and financing, keeping sports going. No, it's changing logos. And because they're Native American and people are upset by the terms warriors, braves, chiefs, arrows, a joke. New York becomes the 21st state to spend millions of dollars, perhaps, to take that off their schools and off their fields. Chris Vaccaro has a problem with that. He's going to step forward with us next. Then Tim Elmore after that. And then we'll take your phone calls. Brian Kilmeade Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. With me right now is Chris Vaccaro. He's with the St. John Alumni Association president and founder. He's also a professor of journalism at Hofstra University and vice president at News 12. But, Chris, you're here for a different reason. Uh, Our school district right here in New York State, and uh, I'm from Long Island and still live on Long Island. You, too? Yep, absolutely. Right. We live from Sachem. I'm from Massapequa. They have decided that we spend we should spend millions of dollars right now to change all references to school names that have Native American references to it. Can you explain this? Yeah, so there's a ban coming from the New York State Board of Regents that says no schools, and there's, I guess, over 55 across the state, 11 specifically on Long Island, no schools should be using any Native American imagery, marks, logos, even you know, in the slightest reference, if they don't remove them by 24, 25 school year, the school districts risk losing state aid or 
school officials could be fired over it. And this was a unanimously voted ban. It's happened in about 20 other states. And they find, they say that in these the outspoken tribes that are organized, they say they don't like references to warriors, braves, in your situation, red arrows, red devils. They assume that that is a negative connotation. I don't think it's necessarily Native Americans. So anyone with anything that could be associated with Native American tribes are done. Why now? Society has is, is changed drastically over the last few years, right? Where we're lifting up these rocks and going, oh, let's change this. Let's erase this. Um, where is it coming from? You know, having dealt with superintendents in my community in Sachem for the last, you know, 20, 30 years, I don't see complaints coming in to say, hey, change this. I haven't seen petitions at our board of education meetings, and I'm as involved in this community as anybody. Yeah, I mean, chiefs uh, started, I think, by high school started in the 1960s. Names chiefs right away. Right. All right. The other schools in the Bisons, they merged. Uh it's nothing but positive. If you don't like the logo, that could be adjusted if people are insensitive with the logo. But uh, an Indian chief looking proud as Massapequa with you red arrows. The, is the, there flaming, a neg- the flaming arrows. It's an arrowhead. Flame, flame Doesn't arrow. take any depiction of a person. 1960, 1955, Sachem was centralized and the logo came about in 1960, or like similar to Massapequa. It was done to honor Native American history. The, the cost could exceed 400000 per district. Cost millions of dollars, uh, especially in working class areas like Brentwood, where the last time I was there, we were covering MS-13. And sponsor families who were uh, maybe not unknowingly sponsoring gang members from El Salvador. Now they're going to take that money. Instead of reading, writing, or preschool, they're going to be putting it to ripping up turf fields, repainting logos, ripping out statues, taking off signs. A lot more important things. Not that this isn't important. Not that this doesn't deserve a conversation. But there are issues with curriculum and education. There are certainly issues with school safety. There are issues with facilities, professional development for teachers. And Sachem, by the way, two high schools, multiple middle schools. That's a lot of gym floors. That's a lot of turf fields. It's going to cost millions of dollars for some districts. So this is one uh, American Indian organized response uh, from the Shinnecock Indians. I think it's long overdue. We have a lot of children involved, and it's going to take. Uh, it's going to have a huge effect. We have a lot of children involved in sports. When they go to schools and their native mascots, it's insulting to them and their heritage and their traditions and cultures to do to be dehumanized in that way. I find it. Uh, I mean, listen, you're entitled. That's their perception, but I don't think from. I get to give you my perspective. There's nobody that has a uh, an insulting mascot of a chief. Why would you have a mascot that makes your school look bad? It goes counterintuitive. Uh, listen, and they, these individuals, the Native Americans, definitely are entitled to how they feel and their opinion. But again, how many people have complained directly to the school districts? Do it at a local level. Have a conversation at a board of education meeting. Instead, this is being handed down by the state who has no say from the community members who live there, who have built homes and families there, and it, it, it doesn't add up. Do you think there should be a dissemination? Like, for example, Redskins for the longest time. You know, I won't call it the Redskins. It's insulting. There were plenty of tribes that stood up and said, leave it alone. Finally, they give in. They're the commanders. The Indians uh, are no longer the Indians. So is there a difference between chiefs, uh, flaming arrows, warriors, and braves as opposed to – Maybe those uh, uh, redskins? I, I, I think so. You know, again, I'm not Native American, so I, it's not my perspective to say it is offensive or not. It's different, though. And even the image of a face and a likeness is vastly different than 
an arrowhead, which is vastly different than the Indians or Redskins. They're different. You can't view every school district in the same broad way. I also think the generals. I mean, people at this schools right now, people listening to me say, my school name's the generals, uh, uh, the colonels, the fighting Irish of, of Notre Dame. The patriots, the colonials. Right. Where does it end? I know. Well, in colonials, they're trying to change at George Washington University, evidently. So you're talking about not just a small section. It's happened in 20 other states. We're the 21st. 60 school districts, 55 of Indian names, 133 schools affected in 12 high schools on Long Island alone, which is a big market if you're listening around the country. So now they're going to have to spend a lot of money by 2025. And as usual, we're used to this with the pandemic. If you don't do this by 2025, you lose federal money. And if I find out who's responsible, you are fired. So superintendents that build this huge career, if they decide to stick with tradition, you're fired. Right. It's, Have it's, they talked to anybody in the community? No. The community members, the Board of Education, the district administration, not consulted, not spoken to. There's no seat at the table for all stakeholders. It's the Board of Regents working with the Native American tribes handing this ruling down. It's an overextension of the Board of Regents' ability to govern. So I look at Shinnecock, the famed U.S. Open course, and is that going to change? You know, Sachem, that's an Indian name of an Indian tribe, right? It's, it's, a chi- it's the chief of chief. a tribe. Uh, Massapequa was the name of a tribe that, that, uh, that was in the land right. uh, long gone before settlers got there. Uh, is that going to change? Because these are references to a um, Native American past. How about I this? thought it would be an Mon- intrigued conversation. Montauk, Setauket. Kachog, Patchog, towns, all, all Indian tribes. All Indian tri- and I can keep going. And then we're just talking about Suffolk County alone. Are we going to start changing fire departments, libraries, hamlets, villages? Or where does that stop? This is why this is an important time to say we need to embrace our history and not erase it. In the, in the story that I read, they said they've decided not to make people destroy past trophies. So the, the uh, flaming arrows – Win a state state championship, you don't have to melt down your trophies from 1974. Is that a relief to you? So I, I got to put I got to put that in my closet. Then I got to go to the school gym <laughs> yes. lobby. You, you got to turn and, it in like a gun. Yeah, and and listen, it's not just a name or a turf field uh, reference. There is so many things: the floor, the courts, the walls, the Hall of Fame plaques. I mean, again, the the, the dollar amount. It's not four hundred thousand. It's not a million. It's far more than that. Right, and uh, you know, if they do, even if the state says we'll pick up the bill, is what what's going to suffer? Something else is going to suffer. Correct. So people are going to get fired. People are going to act. They've already mandated. The border regents have done it, but it's up to see individual uh, school boards to vote on it, and then to see who's going to fight back. We got to see the guidelines. They really have. It's been very vague. You think when you have some big piece of legislation and policy, you would have the guidelines intact already when it's handed down. Hey, we voted, and here's what you need to do. No, there's there's this waiting game. And again, there's no conversation. There's no discussion. Let's have a formal meeting. And I, I guarantee if we brought the school districts together to create this sort of big coalition, they would all agree. I know. I mean, you know, if the mascots are inappropriate, let's adjust it. Uh, Chris Vaccaro, thanks so much. The St. Tomorrow Alumni Association is one of your many occupations. That's right. A lot of hats. All right. When we come back, we learn how to be competitive in the workplace and more. Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
I'm the biggest fan of the millennials and the Gen Z that you'll ever meet. And this narrative out there that these are these soft, entitled little snowflakes, that I'm quick to point out you've never seen them in a firefight in Afghanistan or going to the University of Texas to make a better life for them and their families. These are great young men and women. Do not be fooled by the narrative. They're different than our generation, granted. But I tell you, my parents, who were part of the greatest generation, probably thought I was a little weak and entitled little snowflake. So I think we need to give these young men and women uh, the benefit of the doubt. Navy SEAL Commander Admiral uh, McRaven, uh, he was in our studio two weeks ago with his book talking about how what a great fighting force they are. And Admiral McRaven's right. I mean, I just love this generation. They're, they're professional war fighters. They could do a multi uh, multi-dimensional. But 70% of that generation cannot even qualify for the military. So it's not the ones that enlist. The focus is on the ones that don't. With me right now is Dr. Tim Elmore. A best-selling author who's got a new book out, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. Dr. Elmore is also a founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization. Dr. Elmore, welcome. Thank you. Great to be with you, So Brian. you looked at all the different generations, notice they're working together, notice how different they are, and say, we have to address this. Why? Yeah, well, the reason we do is because... I think we automatically assume that the goal is just to tolerate each other rather than bring out the very best of each generation. So Gen Z comes in knowing how we might be able to use. How old are they? Uh, They would be the youngest team members. They're just graduating college all the way down to middle school. So we're going to see them for the next decade. So um, the war broke out on social media first five or six years ago. Uh, The boomers started it by hashtag how to confuse a millennial. You remember the hashtags that went around? And then the millennials kind of fought back on the boomers with OK Boomer. Then Gen Z gets into act with Gen X saying hashtag OK Karen. So Karen is that fictitious figure that's always asking for the manager at the restaurant and telling the high school principal how to do his job. So I think we've just kind of divided ourselves and we're colliding Instead of collaborating in the workplace. And in the work, we're all working together. Yeah. Yes. We're, at least we're trying. Yeah. All right. So first off, how would you characterize a baby boomer? Well, baby boomers are often stereotyped as stubborn. I'm one of them. I've been in my – this is my 43rd year in my career. So I feel like the, the greatest gift I can give to the younger generation is some of the timeless stuff that I picked up, you know, work ethic and integrity. And, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Gen Z comes in, new kids on the block. They bring in the timely. Here's how we might be able to market – uh, better our company with TikTok or or whatever. So quick story. Tony is a great illustration of this. Graduated from Ohio University just two years ago. He started a TikTok account while he worked at a part-time job, a major retail brand paint store that you would know. Well, uh, while he's posting videos on TikTok, he, he goes viral. He has 1.4 million followers, 37 million views. Nothing to do with the paint store. No, Well, no, no, no. He's mixing paints oh, and realizing maybe we could – Use the, monetize this. So Tony puts a slide deck together. He's probably 20 years old. Puts a slide deck together to show the executives at the company, but he doesn't get one person interested, doesn't get one set of eyeballs looking at the slide deck. He did get something he didn't expect. He got fired. They were just sure he was doing this on company time or, you know, stealing the paint or something like that. So Tony moves from Ohio to Florida, now has 2 million people following him, started his own paint store. So I'll be the first to admit there's a lot of the story we don't probably understand. But one thing is for sure, there were two generations that just didn't understand, didn't understand each other. Yeah. Right. And then you talk about uh, the Xers, Generation X. Yeah. How do you disseminate them? Okay. So they'd be in midlife. They're post 40 years old. 
they grew up in a late 60s all through the 70s, a little bit more jaded, even growing into the workforce, a little more cynical. Uh, the, the Vietnam War was going on and on television, the Watergate scandal when they were kids. So they'd be a little bit more cynical but very pragmatic. Their gift is contrarian points of view and pragmatism in the workplace. And what about uh, millennials? Yeah, millennials. They bring confidence and optimism. So there's an upside and downside. Um, you would probably agree. When we were the young whippersnappers, our parents probably thought these kids today. You know, kids today has been said since Socrates. But um, if we could look at the other side of the coin and see what what gift do they bring that we don't yet have, we could have something. What you said is interesting is uh, these uh, people that are coming to the workforce now, men and women, are coming in. They don't really need a lot of help because they have their iPhones. They're yeah. extremely smart. They, For the most part, they've gone to a lot of school. So does that create a swagger rather than a receptiveness? receptiveness? Yeah, not in everybody. I don't want to stereotype, but certainly they come in with a high sense of agency because they grew up with a smartphone and – it's the first generation of kids that doesn't need adults to get information. Think about that. You know, we used to have talks with dad when we were teenagers because dad knew and that was the only way we knew. Today, they got Siri, Alexa, Google. They don't need dad for that. So they need us for interpretation, not information. Let me help you make sense of all that you've consumed through YouTube. So, yeah, swagger comes in, high sense of agency. But as you and I talked before, high sense of anxiety. So they bring mental health issues in and want PTO and the boss is going, PTO, you just, you've been here a week, you know. So we're going to have to figure out a way to listen and empathize and guide them. Why are the they way. more high strung? Why are they uh, so quick to snap? I think the f- same smartphone that gave them information gave them too much information. Ninety-four percent of university students in America say the number one word they use to describe their life is the word overwhelmed. They're consuming 10,000 messages a day if they're on social media and, of course, email and everything else. Human beings aren't built for that. I don't think our brains are hardwired to take in. And all of it, most of it's irrelevant. I don't need to keep up with the Kardashians. I don't, you know, but but here it is coming at us. So I think we're going to have to guide them to navigate all that they're consuming and then learn how to redeem it. But do you need to know about AI? Well, I think so. So ChatGBT is this huge issue. So I think centuries ago, we needed our muscles to succeed. Then we needed our machines in the Industrial Revolution. Then we needed our minds in the Information Age. I think our morals now are huge. We can do stuff on smart technology that we may not be ready to navigate, and that's a concern for me as well. All right, so here's a label, uh, Mike Rowe, who personifies a blue-collar man uh, and woman. Uh, said this about this new phase that we heard about, quietly quitting, Yeah, where people just slowly bow out. Yeah, Here's Mike Rowe. A C plus, a C, you know, it's a passing grade. What is your attitude? What is your philosophy? What is? Have you taken the time to think about your relationship with work, right? Like to really think about it. Have you made it the enemy? Have you... Uh, suggested, perhaps, that it's the proximate cause of whatever unhappiness you have in your life. Most people have. So the idea of quietly quitting, I'm sure, is very appealing to a lot of people because they don't have to step up. So they step out. Yeah, very often. And so quietly quitting is real. Yeah, quiet quitting is a real thing. It's led by Gen Z. In other words, the data shows more Gen Zers would be quiet quitting or the great resignation. But but let me just give you their angle. Right or wrong, their angle would be, hey, during the last three years, employers laid off a truckload of us. You weren't loyal to us. Why would we be loyal to you? 
And while I don't love that adversarial relationship, we need to, I think we need to lean it. So the acronym, Brian, that I always use is a leg. This is a leg we have to stand on. The letter A is ask. I think we need to start with not telling but asking questions, finding out about who they are. The letter L is listen. I think when we listen, they feel heard. I think E is empathize. When we empathize, they feel understood. Then the G is guide. I feel like I earn my right to guide them through relationship. So I have to stop thinking control and start thinking connect. That's that's what I advise. Well, I mean, in sports, for example, if, you know, you're a rookie, you're coming in as a freshman, you yeah. carry the balls, you set up the goals. Yeah, that's you true. The cones, that is you true. Grab the water, grab the bags. Now, uh, theoretically, mm. people don't have a problem with that. Excuse me. Treat me equal. Yeah. Just because I'm no younger than you doesn't mean you should be doing that. Yeah. And coaches might go, well, that's not the way I brought up. That's not the way I run my team. Who has to change? Yeah. I think we're going to have to meet in the middle. So you're absolutely right when you share that data. They, The phrase pay your dues is like a cuss word to them. They just don't like that. But you and I both did. I mean, I remember yeah. doing tiny dues. You don't actually say it. You just do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm paying <laughs> so my dues. True. You That's feel like right. you're on a path. Yeah, it's so true. So when I say meet in the middle, I believe to, in today's world, they bring timely intuition. We bring timeless wisdom. So every workplace, according to Chip Conley, has modern elders and young geniuses. And if I could see it that way, let me impart to them some right. of the timeless insight, but let me get from them the time, timely intuition. Dr. Tim Elmore is a best-selling author. His new book is That's What He's Talking About, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different, uh, making the different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. Doctor, what makes you, what makes you such a, an expert in this area with, with such a thirst to define this? I started as a teacher in 1979, so this is four-plus decades in. In what, grade school? or uh, Yeah, high school and college, both. I was doing my uh, – started my graduate work, and I started teaching undergrads. So I saw the late boomers coming through in 1979, Then the extras came through. Then the millennials came through. Now it's Gen Z. And then the alpha generation are the children behind Gen Z that in a decade are going to be entering the workforce. They'll be even different. So I feel like – it's a new kind of diversity that we need to pay attention to and do the work on uh, in order to get it right. What is the perception of seeing your identity through your work? I identify, and when yeah. you lose that job or you retire, people often oh uh, lose their identity. Yeah. And it seems like this generation, if I could overgeneralize, and that's what we're doing. You yeah. have to. We don't know everybody listening. Yeah. But to generalize, a lot of people say, yeah, I don't really feel fulfilled. This yeah. is not me. Other people would say, well, I'm a, I'm a minor. Yeah. I'm in a manufacturing, but my fulfillment is going to be my pension. My fulfillment is having a good living, going to yeah. a great house, raising three kids. How have we changed the definition of fulfillment? Yeah. So Gen Z would look at guys like me and say, you live to work. My work has been so much a, a sense of identity. But I made a decision when I was about 30 years old to never place my sense of identity in something that could be taken away. I just think that's smart. Whether it's faith or whatever, it's got to be in something that can't be yanked from you. So they see boomers living to work. They want to work to live. I think the key to tapping into Gen Z is to create entrepreneurs, meaning not entrepreneurs, but maybe gig economies within a company where they can start projects and feel like they're beginning something to light the fire of their passion uh, while it still monetizes. It still adds value to the work. But I'm telling you, we're going to have to probably practice reverse mentoring on this one. I don't know if you've heard that term. But no, Jack, I never heard it. Jack Welch brought it up way back in the 90s. So reverse mentoring is when an old and a young get together. They swap stories. You always find common ground when you swap stories. But then the older senior veteran is going to impart some insight. 
obviously, here's how to succeed here. But then they put on the mentee hat, take off the mentor hat, and let that 22-year-old mentor them and how to monetize social media or how we could use the latest app. I think if we're both listening and learning, uh, learning and teaching, I think we're going to have something. And also how we get our information. I can't tell you how many times I walk into my house with three kids and they don't have the TV on. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, I don't ever remember walking to my house without the TV on. It was... When you leave the room, shut it off. Yeah. Now I'm saying you guys don't want to put that TV on at all. So things are changing. Very much. In fact, I think the generation gap grew bigger, Brian, as the screens in our life went smaller. Well, got smaller, but they went from public to private. So when I was growing up back in the 60s, there was one screen, a black and white TV. We all gathered around and watched the Dick Van Dyke show or Andy Griffith or whatever. We laughed together, talked together. It was a together thing. Now we've all got our own individual screen, and we can be in echo chambers with people that talk like us, think like us, vote like us, and we're not we're not uh, we're in silos. And I think we need to break out of those silos. So I think that's important too. You also help sports teams. Yeah, yes. yeah. What, what, what resonates with coaches and teams? Well, coaches will often say, "I don't understand these rookies." We're working with a number of NFL teams, and then a lot of NCAA teams. But listen to this: the seniors, you know, who are twenty-two are going, looking at the freshman going, what's up with a freshman? And I'm going, you're just three years apart. But that's how rapidly change happens. So we're going to have to build bridges instead of walls. Sorry about this cheesy metaphor here. Bridges instead of walls where we're listening to each other saying, you have a superpower. I've got a superpower. Let's, let's find out what it is. A lot of people are saying, let me just play out the string. It's not going to be my problem. I'm yeah, going to be in for another 10 years yeah. or I don't have to know all this stuff. I mean, I know a lot of people up until recently were holding on to the flip phone. Yeah. I don't want to be text all the time. I'm <laughs> thinking true. to myself. That's you're in denial. <laughs> so you're not a millennial. I mean, what generation are you? I'm a baby boomer. Baby boomer. So how are you staying up? How do you understand the 18-year-old? Well, some of my favorite meetings on my, with my team members are with Andrew, who's 30 years younger, and with Cam, who's 40 years younger. And um, I'll be ready to teach and learn, you know. So I'm not thinking control. I'm thinking connect. We're building a relationship. But I'm asking questions. So I know I've got something to give to them, but I'm earning my right to say that. Last question, the role of the pandemic in all of this. Yeah. So the baby. Go home and don't work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a new day for sure. And I think we're still coming out of it, figuring out what works. Well, go home from college for a year and then go back or don't. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a gap and it may be a long gap. I feel like the boomers responded when I did the research on this. The boomers responded, what's this doing about retirement, you know? But the Gen Zers are feeling like, I feel like I've been postponed and penalized. So, again, it's only an understanding of the narrative. I think here's what I would say. we got to start with empathy to get to grit. We need to get to grit, but we got to start with empathy, and that's what I'm lobbying what for. What do you mean by grit? Well, work that ethic. famous book, Grit? You yeah, know, yeah, grit. by Angela Duckworth. Fabulous book. I'm telling you, when I say grit, I mean work ethic, resilience, resourcefulness. That should be in every generation. Should I agree. Shouldn't be some fundamentals in every generation? I don't care how old you are. It's timeless. No doubt. So what should be in there? When people say, I don't want to work past 5 o'clock. Well, really, I, I, don't tell me what generation you are. I need you to work more. That's right, regardless of your age, yeah. Is, am I right to say that? Absolutely. That's the timeless stuff. It's never going to go away. I don't care what year you graduate, you're going to need discipline. And it will always be respected. I think so, yeah. So um, the number one thing we do at Growing Leaders is to provide social and emotional learning curriculum. It's image-based, but it starts conversations on discipline, initiative responsibility. And we start this in middle school, high school, and college. But I feel like they're getting reading, writing, arithmetic. But don't you know people at 4.0 GPA, and they can't get along with a team member? Absolutely. 
So be diverse. we're trying to change that. Right. Or they're just athletes and they get yeah, out. That's there. Right. Wait a second. I never have had a part time job because I've been training all the time. It's so true. All yeah. right. Uh, congratulations on everything. Dr. T- uh, Tim Elmore, bestselling author. Pick up his book, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Difference Generations on Your Team, uh, a Competitive Advantage. Dr. Elmore, thank you. My pleasure. All right. Great job. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Please don't do to AI what you've done to everything else. It's going to be a part of our lives. Brother, it's going to affect everything. When I say everything, everything. So the quicker you get used to it, the better your life will be. You not doing stuff with AI is just like the thing you made fun of your parents for not doing with the Internet. This is the Internet 1992. It's that big. It's not going away. And it will make your life so much better. When you're in the kitchen saying, hey, Alexa, can you order me food for two friends? One's lactose intolerant. Order now. Boom. And that saves you 18 minutes of going to the website or calling or being on your Seamless app or Uber Eats. This is going to make your life better. Like everything, of course there'll be some things that aren't good. But there aren't some things that are good about everything. Alcohol has some bad things. A car, like everything has bad and good. I agree with everything except alcohol. I cannot see the downside. But that's Gary Vee talking to, as an entrepreneur saying, do not back off, uh, join in. The only thing that made everyone else back off is because the people that are inventing it believe that it could overcome humanity. Not many people were saying when the Internet came out that it could overwhelm humanity. Uh, It could destroy humanity. It could become bigger and smarter than all of us. That's what bothers me. And then you worry the more you learn about it. And we'll laugh at this two years from now. We'll probably laugh at this statement. But you find out that as much as you're in awe of what AI can do, you also find out that it's susceptible and vulnerable to who loads it. We're seeing that people that are actually loading up Jackpot, GBT, and Bard tend to be leftists. Donald Trump, easy to rip them. Joe Biden, we stay out of politics. How did that happen? Well, who was loading the tank? That's the issue. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Yes, just a few blocks where the Chinese set up a police station. So hopefully I don't get any violations. I wonder if they actually do parking tickets as well. Oh, that's right. They're under arrest. At least one police station has stopped. Evidently, they got them all across the country and around the world. Chinese are everywhere. Um, I like American Chinese, but I'm a little worried about the country. I'm sure you can understand that. Mark Thiessen standing by to echo that. And if I want to find out about crime, not only in this city, but cities around the world, and what the problem is, one-stop shopping, Curtis Lewa, founder of the Guardian Angels, former mayoral candidate, had the Republican nomination, and host of the Curtis Lewa Show on 77 WABC. So before we get to Mark Thiessen, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe when the republic is crumbling, which it is, we need a fighter, and Donald Trump's that fighter. It's time we have someone that we can take a new generation into town, and uh, we can kind of build on what President Trump started, and Governor DeSantis is a great guy to get behind to do that. Endorsements flowing in, and it's heating up. 2024, Trump goes for the early finish of DeSantis. 
But he's showing that he's got some resilience as he hit South Carolina yesterday. On the Democratic side, RFK Jr. takes a bite out of Joe Biden, about 14 percent. He's only been in for a few hours. What does that tell you about the sitting president? Number two. I don't really know who would actually have thought the Afghan government was going to survive. Everybody, this was the worst kept secret in Washington. The department simply was not fully prepared for the full range of challenges it encountered. So much went wrong. Maddening. The insulting denials and the border has collapsed, uh, the border of the border collapsing in our south. And Afghanistan withdrawal was anything but an epic fail. Both played out in committee hearings yesterday. I'll bring them to you. Number one. My client wants to come forward to Congress. He's ready to be questioned about what he knows and what he experienced under the proper legal protections. Typical steps that a law enforcement investigator would take were compromised because of political considerations. And they told it to Republicans and Democrats, and he's got tapes and he's got receipts. Whistleblower about to blow up Joe Biden, excuse me, Hunter Biden, excuse me, both Bidens. Perhaps all indications are he's set not only to expose Hunter, but a cover-up through a higher-up Biden appointee expected to be the Attorney General, Merrick Garland. Uh, let's bring in Mark Thiessen, former presidential speechwriter, George W. Bush, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor, fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Mark, welcome back. Good to be with you. Hey, uh, Mark, first off, on this whistleblower coming forward, pretty big news, especially as CBS covers it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, this is the kind of thing that forces the uh, corporate media to uh, cover uh, cover news. If you have somebody inside the FBI who's going to, uh, you know, we'll see what they say. But if the, that there was a there was a cover up of this, then uh, that the, they have to cover it. Here's what uh, John Solomon said, who broke the story, founder of Just the News. Cut for What's really interesting about this whistleblower is he doesn't want to just hang out with Republicans. He wants to face the music. He wants to look Democrats and Republicans and independents in the eye. So he sent this letter to the Democratic side. He sent it to the Republican side. He's not afraid to confront the Adam Schiff's and the uh, Eric Swalwells and all the jokesters who gave us all the bogus stories of the last four years. He, the reason he's so confident, he has the receipts. He has contemporaneous documents. It's not going to be in doubt what he uh, provides to Congress. And he's going to say, too, that this thing's been done. Something between David Rice, uh, David Weiss, excuse me, the Trump appointed, uh, the Trump appointed uh, district attorney over in um, over in uh, Delaware, as well as uh, Merrick Garland. Something about that investigation is not sitting well with this guy. And it is a guy. And we're supposed to find out soon, shortly, and we'll see if it becomes a bigger story than this. But the bigger story, I also think, is what they're doing, James Comer, pulling in these banks, looking at these numbers and these bank accounts. And I'm just wondering, as a pedestrian on the outside, how do you end up owing $2 million when you're making millions of dollars from at least six different countries? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, We'll see what this guy comes up with. Um, But, you know, I'll tell you the other thing is it's just a reminder uh, you know, when Trump says we need to defund the FBI, uh, it's a mistake because there are really good people inside the FBI who want to save that institution. It's, a, it's an institution with a great history and a great legacy. Uh, there have been some bad people, political uh, political people in there who politicize the agency. But there are good people. There are whistleblowers who came forward to Chuck Grassley as well. Uh, to alleging corruption inside. So we, we need to we need to save that organization for the good people, the good agents who are serving. Yeah, this is an IRS uh, agent. Uh, but the FBI, oh, okay. yeah, but the FBI needs to be reformed. But it's a bad language to say defund is ridiculous. 
Uh, it yep. doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's re- and why give somebody to fund that the fund comment? Uh, Democrats should own that. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind, too, that Jonathan Solomon is investigating who rounded up those 51 intel agents to write that letter saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was classic Russian disinformation, which we know is a flat out lie. And it turns out it looks like it was Anthony Blinken. What does that say wow. to you? You know, it's funny because there's always somebody who's who organized these letters. I've signed some of these letters before, nothing like that. But, I mean, I've signed group letters. And there's always somebody who's a first mover who drafts the letter and sends it around. Uh, and then people people join on or don't join on. So it'd be, it's fascinating. It's always, I've always wondered who that is. And it would be fascinating if uh, if Solomon was right and that was Tony Blinken. That would tell you a lot. It, it would. A um, couple other things are, are going on. Number one, when it comes to Afghanistan and the investigation, if you listen to Jamie Raskin, the whole problem was Trump's deal. We all know that that was a conditions-based. <laughs> Whatever you thought of it, they undid everything Trump did. It was conditions-based. Cut 14. My Republican colleagues refused to examine the elephant on the battlefield, President Trump's disastrous decision to cut out the Afghan government and negotiate directly with the Taliban. Trump struck numerous bad deals and fateful bargains with the Taliban that would come back to haunt us. And I've been in contact with Ambassador Khalizad. I was not for that. They said it was the only way to get it started. They were going to deal him in. They were being briefed back and forth. But regardless of that decision, he wasn't going to abandon Bagram, and he wasn't going to leave one dollar on the ground, and he would never allow his reputation to be tarnished and tarred like Joe Biden's is right now. Do you agree? Mm, Not exactly. So, I mean, if you keep in mind, after the election during that period, he actually had the the, uh, the head of the Office of Presidential Personnel draft an order to withdraw all U.S. forces from Afghanistan before he left from, uh, left office. And before it was uh, required that uh, the, uh, the General Milley and some other people came to the to the White House and convinced him to not do it. Uh, but he was ready to just pull everything out, too. So I, we don't we don't have to defend Trump's policy to uh, to criticize Biden's policy. And the reality is, is that Joe Biden, you know, he says that he was bound by what President Trump did. Oh, I guess that's why we have a secure southern border. Because he kept all, he had to keep all the Trump policies on the southern border in place. You know that the uh, the uh, the agreement with Mexico, the Remain in Mexico agreement. He was bound by that too, right? Oh no, wait, he wasn't. He wasn't bound by that. He just got rid of it. Uh, you know, so Biden's, you know, Biden is selectively bound by Trump when when there's a, when when he does something that's a disaster and he can blame it on Trump and he tries to do it. Uh, but but you know, but the reality is is he didn't have to stick with the agreement that Trump negotiated. Uh, he didn't have to do any any of these things. And by the way, he ha- he could have listened to his military commanders who he lied to us and said had and no one recommended him leave any troops behind when we when we, every single military commander has now testified publicly uh, that they they recommended at least a residual force of twenty five hundred troops. And if we had left that uh, force there, the Taliban would have never taken over, uh, and and uh, and the uh, the drawdown would have uh, would have gone much more smoothly. So, so he owns this. Yeah, a couple of things. He absolutely owns this. Even if Trump said get out before, but if talking to General Jack King, which you have done, said that he yeah. talked to Trump afterwards. He said it was an election promise he wanted to keep, but he told him the feasibility of it. Like a lot of things that Trump did, said, listen, you got to be more practical about it. And then he waited and he put he kept two thousand five hundred or five thousand in. But there's no way he was going to give up Bagram Air Base. And now they say what's so interesting is I want you to hear what Chuck uh, Robichaux said. John, uh, we had him here. He was on this morning, Chad Robichaux. 
Here's what he said happened as soon as we left. Cut 18. Who benefits from the United States military being out of out of Afghanistan and is China? And that's not conspiracy theory. That's not a partisan partisan statement. That is just facts. Uh, the United States military being in Afghanistan uh, prohibited China from getting the mineral rights of the Hindu Kush mountains for trillions of dollars in, in lithium. Uh, as soon as we moved out, within the next week, the Taliban gave the China those mineral rights. In addition, China is able to move oil from Iran, sanctioned oil from Iran, without the U.S. military being there. China was pressuring the White House for us to move. And, and militarily, we were, uh, Bagram Air Force Base is the most strategic place in the globe between Iraq, Iran, Russia, and China. Our enemies did not want us there. The, our international partners were successfully working with us to support the Bosnia Afghan National Army to keep uh, the terrorism at, at bay there, to keep the Taliban in those mountains. And remember, we had about five to 7,500 NATO troops on the ground. What about what Chad yeah. said? Uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, look, I, I, is it possible that Trump could have been talked out of withdrawing all of his troops? Uh, and and uh, yes, that's possible because he was well, talked out of it in the past. Uh, but, you know, he 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 was the one, you know, keep in mind, Trump wanted to invite the Taliban to Camp David on the Dumbest eve of September ever. 11, 2001. Uh, you know, and, and specifically the people who would have come would have been the people that Obama had released from Guantanamo Bay. So we would have had literally, the, uh, if he had had his way, uh, and if the Taliban hadn't killed an American uh, to, to, stop that for, uh, to stop that from happening, we would have had guy, the uh, leaders of the Taliban in Guantanamo Bay at Camp David with, with President Trump. So, I, I mean, his, his Afghanistan policy was disastrous, but it wasn't – but it, it, Joe Biden say, took that and said, hold my beer. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, made it, and made it even worse. So what, what is pretty clear is they're not cooperating with the investigation. John Sopko is the inspector general for Afghanistan reconstruction. He said this about the money we are still giving cut 12. If the purpose is to help the Afghan people, we have to have effective oversight to ensure the money goes to those people and not to some Taliban. And I would just say I haven't seen a starving Taliban fighter on TV. They all seem to be fat, dumb, and happy. I see a lot of starving Afghan children on TV. So I'm wondering where all this funding is going. He went on to say, I can't guarantee we are not funding the Taliban. Yeah, that, that's just a disgrace. The idea that we would be funding the Taliban in any way, shape, or form uh, is disgraceful. But, I mean, the list, the list of disgraces under this administration in Afghanistan is just you know, that, that, that's all, that's like number 25 on a list of 24, uh, you know, or more uh, just absolutely disgraceful things that this administration has done there. And look, and the reality is, by the way, if they hadn't screwed that up, there wouldn't have been a there wouldn't be a war in Ukraine today. Because if you, you know, just ask yourself a simple question, did did Vladimir Putin look at Joe Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan and say they're going to be here. This is a weak president. We're going to have no case. Was he emboldened to invade Ukraine? Of course he was. Uh, they didn't. They, he didn't do it under Trump. Uh, so for for all his flaws, I don't think if Trump was president, this invasion would have happened, and probably the drawdown wouldn't have happened the way it did. All right, I want to talk, if I can, also about 2024. And it looks sure. as though Donald Trump has jumped out to an early lead in just about every state, including South Carolina, despite the possible presence of Tim Scott as well whether and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. That is where Ron DeSantis was yesterday, cut 26. 
People also side with us on wanting our school system to be about educating kids, not indoctrinating kids. We're not going to use your tax dollars to teach kids to hate our country or to hate each other. That's unacceptable. And we just believe that parents should be able to send their kid to school, have them watch cartoons, just be kids without having some agenda shoved down their throats. So he's doing heavy with the culture, a lot still taking on Disney. Uh, Governor DeSantis ready to go while taking hits from uh, Donald Trump on a regular basis. What are your thoughts? Because a lot of Republicans like Sununu, like Christie, like Trump are against his stance in this fight with Disney. What are your thoughts, Mark Thiessen? So here's the thing. If Disney were just like a regular company and that had opposed, like, like say, like Major League Baseball in, in Atlanta that said horrible things about, about uh, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the law that they painted Jim Crow 2.0, I don't think many Republicans would be saying, well, we should punish Major League Baseball and you know, t- do something like that. Disney was engaged in crony capitalism for decades with the state of Florida. They were getting all sorts of tax benefits and all sorts of largesse from the government, the ability to govern themselves, control uh, you know, governmental decisions, to avoid taxation and all the rest of it. And when you do that and then you turn around and demagogue uh, the, the, the Republicans in charge, uh, for uh, for the, by lying about what they're doing and 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 also promoting all this you know anti-American uh, you know propaganda that they put out, then there's nothing wrong. It's nothing anti-conservative to turn around and say, you know what, we're going to take away the special tax breaks. We're going to take away all the largesse that you got from Democratic and Republican administrations that came before, and you're going to be treated like any other company in the state of Florida. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. If they if they were not getting special breaks. Then I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, support support punitive action against them, uh, you know, because that's not what we believe in as conservatives. But why should they get benefit? Why should they have benefits that other companies? You know, I mean, I'm sorry, does Universal uh, uh, Universal Studios in Orlando get to govern itself the way Disney does? No. Or you know, or some of the other you know more conservative uh, you know theme parks. Everything does every is every theme park treated like Disney? No. So, you know, there's absolutely nothing going wrong with, ta- with going after and taking away the special perks that they had built up uh, over the years. Um, Mark, it's going to be do you think DeSantis got to get in quick? I think that he's you know what? It, this is why they play the game. He hasn't entered the race. You know, all the numbers don't matter. Tim Scott hasn't entered the race. Nikki Haley has. Uh, but, you know, people with this, this, there's a there's a whole game to be played here. Uh, you know, it's like it's like saying, you know, uh, who's who's ahead in the Super Bowl before they before they flip the coin. Uh, so let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah. The only question, he is taking shots to the solar plexus. They don't really punch you before the game starts uh, in the, the Super That's Bowl. True. He's taking shots from Trump, who started the game. Uh, very interesting. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. It's going to be fascinating. All right. Take care. one 408 7669 When we come back, we'll take your calls, and then we'll talk crime and no punishment. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back. So Eric Adams shocked me yesterday when he came out and didn't address the press didn't address New Yorkers. He actually addressed Joe Biden and the federal government, Cut 24. Why isn't every elected official in Washington, D.C., asking the national government, why are you doing this to New York? 
The national government has turned its back on New York City. And what I find significant about that is because he is the only politician I know that just loves Joe Biden. I'm a Biden guy. I'm a Biden disciple. He goes to the White House. He's my favorite guy. They have their meetings together. And he can't convince the president of the United States to help him with the 55,000 have come here illegally that it cost us on average per household, 380 per day, 34,000 here right now. And we're dealing with the minimum 200 a day coming in legally on buses and just by foot. And he's so frustrated and we're so over budget in this city that taxes us through the nose that he's saying, I need some help. Can't get the White House on the phone until he calls a press conference. It's almost as if when someone comes up to you and just starts yelling at you about something somebody else did and you think to yourself, why are you yelling at me? Uh, take it out of the people at work. Why are you, why are you bringing that home? And I feel like he's saying, why do, I feel like him saying, why don't you do, do a Zoom call with the president over in Ireland? Or maybe on the flight back, he's got seven hours. He's not calling any world leaders. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Here in Manhattan, the scales of justice are weighed down by politics. For the district attorney, justice isn't blind. It's about looking for opportunities to advance a political agenda, a radical political agenda. Rather than enforcing the law, the DA is using his office to do the bidding of left-wing campaign funders. He's taken a soft-on-crime approach to the real criminals. One of Mr. Bragg's first actions upon taking office in January of 2022 was to put out a memo that directed his assistant district attorneys not to prosecute certain crimes, including trespassing and resisting arrest. That was Jim Jordan to do something I never heard of before and basically take the house. I mean, I I know that they were doing it with uh, they were doing the same. They were doing the same thing with going to the border, but no Democrats would go. So Jim Jordan said, wait a second. These guys are going to go indict President Trump for something that happened 17 years ago, for a payment that happened six years ago. When you have crime running rampant in the streets, let's go highlight that. And believe me, I thought it was very effective when you had people of all different shapes, sizes, genders, and heritages coming forward as victims of crime and talk about the lack of retribution. A man that lived in the uh, the uh, the law and order world Curtis Sliwa. When things got bad, he formed his own organization, the Guardian Angels, and has been a force on talk radio and almost uh, and was the runner-up to being the next mayor of New York City. Curtis Sliwa, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Brian. And Jim Jordan was right on time. He didn't have politicians speaking who had their own agendas. He had the actual families of the victims of crime in what has become the socialist capital of America. Unfortunately, they may call themselves Democrats, but many in the Democratic Party consider themselves socialists before Democrats. And if we are to take back our streets in urban America, where they have won election after election after election, we've got to bring together a coalition, Brian, in the old Reagan days. You bring together the moderate Democrats with the Republicans and the independents, as I'm starting to do now in New York City as a template, 
And under the banner of taking back your neighborhood, your city, your community, the country from the socialists, you can bring everybody together and agree to disagree. We don't want to convert moderate Democrats. We want to help them take back their party from the socialists because the socialists are promoting an agenda of not only defunding the police, right. removing the police, defunding prisons, and putting criminals back in the streets. But let's face it, Brian. They want everybody to leave urban America. They want that to be their base of operation. They want everybody to flee south. You really think that's their goal? Excuse me, Brian? Who's going to be the tax base? I mean, if Wall Street picks up and leaves, if these major corporations uh, pick up and go, uh, if, if rich people no longer want to live on the west side or the east side, that's the tax base. Who's going to pay for anything? That's common sense, Brian. That's what uh, moderate Democrats can agree with you and I on. But the socialists, remember, they have an ideology. They want to destroy capitalism. And they've done that all over the world. And the problem is they're very good at organizing. They, they have motivated their followers who are the minority of the Democratic Party. Look at this recent election cycle in Chicago. The moderate Democrat won the first round. Thank God. Uh, Lightfoot was kicked out the door. I call it Beetlejuice. But then Johnson, a pure socialist who had led the defund the police movement, won in the runoff. And you know why he won, Brian? Because Bernie Sanders came in from AOC all out crazy and all the socialists. They went door to door. And Randy Weingarten of the American Federation of Teachers poured millions of dollars into the campaign. And look at what has happened ever since he won the election. Walmart is pulling out. You had three armed car robberies in one day. Unheard of. And you saw over the weekend the mayor of the thugs and thuggets taking over downtown Chicago at will, attacking residents, attacking tourists. And the new socialist mayor, what did he say? Oh, you got it all wrong. These are just poor and impoverished children that are misunderstood. Chicago will now fall. And you know what? The moderate Democrats let it fall because they would have had a mayor if they would have coalesced, come in there, and supported him in his election effort. No question. Talking to Curtis Lee, Curtis, the same theme in Los Angeles, the same theme in San Francisco. And the other thing that's consistent, we're about, what, 2,000 cops down in New York? There are, they've lost 1,000 in two years in Los Angeles. They're, they're now using civilians to do uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the work in New Orleans and because they can't get enough cops or close to that. And the same thing in, uh, same thing in Chicago. They, they expect 1,000 cops to resign if, uh, if this guy wins. And this guy went ahead and won. So why is it to their advantage for these police officers to walk away? And do you believe Adams, in this case in New York, wised up by giving them the raise to 55000 Oh, they needed even more, Brian Kilmeade, because you know the, the police in New York City are so poorly paid. In their first five yep. years on the job, they're forced to live at their, their mother and father's home. But I will tell you this. Eric Adams refuses to name and shame the socialists who continually pound away at him at all different levels of government. You've got to take a stand. You've got to fight. So to everybody listening in your vast audience, they know me. I've organized guardian angel groups all over the country, all over the world, 13 countries, 130 cities. I know how to do this. You can message me on Twitter at Curtis Lewa. Message me on Twitter at Curtis Lewa, and I will help you push back the socialist takeover of urban America by starting Ronald Reagan Republican clubs that welcome in moderate Democrats. As you know, Brian Kilmeade, 
Without moderate Democrats, Ronald Reagan would never have become one of the greatest presidents of the United States who made us feel good about being Americans again. And now, the way we are so polarized, moderate Democrats, they're sitting on the sidelines. Many of them will not vote when socialists are running, but they might vote for a Republican or an independent or a moderate Democrat who's going to take on the socialists, and we have to help them take our country back through the Ronald Reagan Republican clubs. So uh, a couple other things happen. You know, by the way, 49 states, you don't do that by just winning red states. Uh, you win every state. That's called that was just America. This is the president we want. Uh, and that's the way it used to be. But I thought it was very interesting when they came to New York on Monday and a lot of C-SPAN didn't even carry it. We carried it. No other network acknowledged it because when um, when Nadler and others would come up and challenge the uh, the the guests that were there. The people that are testifying what they were going through, like the mom of the New York City murder victim who happened to be, uh, her name is Madeline Brom, whose son is a uh, uh, Afghanistan war veteran. This is what she said. Cut 45. She's capable at any moment of snapping and attacking someone and holding them while someone else plunges a butcher knife into their body nine times and another person 12 times and then run away and leave their body in the street to bleed to death. This is the type of criminal element that we have walking the streets of New York City on a daily basis. All types of criminal elements. Free to do what they want, when they want, however they want, to whomever they want, with no consequences, no deterrence. She's outraged that she was a prop. She was called a prop. But, Brian, uh, this woman represents the mothers of slain victims all over America. She could well have been testifying in Chicago and Philadelphia and exactly. Baltimore and Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, Portland, Seattle. And obviously here in the media capital of the world, New York City, it resonated. But they didn't just poorly treat her. A Jewish man who lost his son because of uh, a horrific anti-Semitic act. Nadler said, what are, you, what are you talking about? This is an aberration. There is no serious crime in New York City. And boy, that Jewish guy looked at Gerald Nadler and said, you should take a menorah and impale yourself. How dare you? My son is dead because you and Alvin Bragg and Eric Adams are not providing public safety, which is your mandate. You took an oath of office. Public safety is first and foremost in the minds of all Americans, and you've let us all down. Between the mother, who's... Uh, whose clip you played, and the father whose Jewish son died because of an act of anti-Semitism. And then they got poo-pooed. Eric Adams made fun of them, Alvin Bragg made fun of them, and Jerry Nadler made fun of them in a city that is falling into the abyss. we got to fight for what we know is right, Brian. You've got boots on the ground. You're in the city all the time. Yep. You've seen me everywhere. everywhere. We can do this all over America. We've got to fight for what we know are the values of America and not run retreat. I believe you improve you don't move because that's what the socialists want us to do they want us to sell the house they want us to leave go to florida georgia north carolina south carolina virginia texas tennessee no 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 we need to take a stand and bring moderate democrats independents and republicans together and push these socialists out so right now there's no budget because one of the things that governor hochel wants to do because she almost lost her election because uh, of crime 
is you got to change the bail reform law. You got to give these people time to investigate. You got to give judges some discretion. And these clowns, because they have a supermajority uh, in the state house, don't want to move on this. So right now we're in overtime. The budget's way overdue. By a couple of weeks, they're not budging. But listen to what's happening from the same woman, Madeline Brom. Listen to what she said last night. We've been voting Democrat for generations. We have got nothing in return for our votes. Dilapidated housing, failing schools, crime, poverty, abortion, okay? On and on and on. But we continue to just give our vote away for nothing in return. And I'm going to quote something that Trump said. What do we have to lose by giving the other side a, a chance? How will we know what we're going to get when we never gave them a chance? Okay? We have nothing to lose. We don't have anything. All right? Welfare, food stamps, nothing. She's a Republican now. Do you hear that on the streets, Curtis? Unfortunately, no, because what's going to happen to Madeline and everyone else who crosses the Maginot line is they're going to label her a Trump mini-me. What I would say to Madeline is, if you're a moderate Democrat, let us Republicans help you fight for your party. We want multiple parties. We want democracy. We want debate. We want Americans to be able to decide for themselves what they feel is in their best interest and, most importantly, America's interest. But if we're just going to think that Democrats, long-term Democrats, are going to convert to the Republican Party, some will, most won't. I want to go out there and tell them, join us in solidarity to push out the socialists, to bring in public safety, law and order. And guess what? We're going to help you take your party back. The party of our parents and our grandparents, that Democratic Party can come back, but they're going to have to fight for their party. And I want to teach the moderate Democrats how to do that. So once again, I said, message me on Twitter at Curtis Lewa. And we'll bring the fight to your community to run right. these socialists out who want to destroy our country and destroy our cities. Yeah, I give you so much credit. You always take action. You don't just say, hey, this would be nice. You go, let me do it. So it's pretty awesome. The couple of things, we used to debate on this show and other shows. Hey, what about tax cuts? What about Obamacare? What about building the wall? You know, what, you know, what about defense spending? And you used to be like, oh, it depends on who you are and how do you massage it. Okay, those were political debates. But now you're asking people to pretend as if the crime is not affecting them when it's affecting everything they do in the city, including moving to another state, which they're leaving New York and California in droves to go to safety and security and freedom. Lastly, there's a lane for Democrats, and it's, believe it or not, liberal Bill Maher is getting traction by just being logical, not being anything less than liberal, but being logical. And it seems like Governor Cuomo sees that lane. I want you to hear this and tell me what you think of it. The far left doesn't want to talk about crime. They don't want to hear the word crime spoken. Do you know who are the victims of crime? Over 70 percent black, brown and poor. So tell me, who does the Democratic Party really represent? If not the black, brown, and poor. So does he mean that? It's the stats back it up, but what do you think? I've known Andrew Cuomo since he was a teenager and campaign manager for his father, Mario. Uh, It would be believable if he would come clean and say, yeah, I was part of that. I was the one who pushed no cash bail. It was a mistake. I'm willing to help the Democrats take their party back from the socialists. If he can do that. 
because he was the leader of the no-cash-bail effort. And remember, he was the most yep. powerful elected figure in Albany. He could have done it. He chose to pass it. He's got to renounce that. He's got to resurrect himself by acknowledging that he was wrong along with other Democrats. And then I'll be more than happy to say to him, let's do this in solidarity. Let's take back our country from the socialists, our state from the socialists, and your Democratic Party from AOC all-out crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right, and by the way, she did say that. That's what you're doing now. You're trying to take her out. She's upset that the cops got raises. Your thoughts? Yeah. And meantime, you saw the female police officer who uh, emotionally disturbed guy almost killed in the streets. And she's saying the police don't deserve a raise. Of course not. But notice who's protecting her wherever she goes when she goes to a top shelf five star events with all the Trendoids, jet setters and freakazoids. It's off duty cops that she hires as her security. And guess what, Brian? She doesn't live in the Bronx. She's never lived in the Bronx. She's a fake, phony, fraudulent fugazi. And I'm going into every neighborhood with a milk carton with her picture on it and say, have you seen AOC all out crazy here in the Bronx? And you're going to hear it. You're going to see the video. I'm going to send it to you exclusively, Brian. Okay. Nobody has seen her in the Bronx. Go get him. Curtis Lee wakes up fired up. Curtis, thanks so much. You can hear him all the time on 77 WABC. Thanks, Curtis. Thanks, Brian. Anytime. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A new AI-generated song featuring fake vocals from Drake and The Weeknd has been pulled from streaming services. So basically, it's fake Drake featuring Pretend Weekend. Uh, before being removed yesterday, the song had racked up 600,000 Spotify streams and 15 million TikTok views. Here's a sample. I mean, I dig it. I like it. Very good. You know what I say? we still got a week. Let's get AI in the car, guys. It is crazy. Uh, and to me, Allison, I mentioned this this morning. I thought maybe once AI got uh, hit Excel, the accelerator, they'd go, yay, by the way, that isn't really Billy Joel. That's not really Sting. You know, all of a sudden, they, they generated this guy. He explained it all last night. I, I don't know what show it was. He explained how he did it. He wrote the song. Then he goes and uses AI to use their voices, knocks his voice out, puts in The weekend, and uh, puts in Drake, and the song, he puts it up, and it's downloaded like crazy. But to me, fundamentally, it's illegal. How do you pretend to be somebody else? They said there's nothing on the books to stop it. I mean, as a lawyer, do you, I mean, don't you think fundamentally, even though you don't know music law, there'd be something illegal about impersonating somebody as an artist? I would think so. And this is an example of right technology moving faster than the law can keep up. And they'll they'll figure out a way. But know, it's to, still out there. But it's still out there. They did take it down. But no, it's crazy. It's also a great example of how um, aware everyone should be you know, about what it can do and how not and what to about this? They, they, if it is good, I, like, that's the only thing I heard of it. it is, what, you take it down a song that's really good? That's good. Or do they say, let me cash in on it? Does well, the weekend... And Drake say, all right, let me just cash in on it. You wrote it already. Yeah, they all make out. Why not?
News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1 866 408 7669. At the bottom of the hour, you're going to hear my interview with uh, Mayor Suarez. I interviewed him this morning, and he took on Governor DeSantis. I think the guy's running for president. You read between the lines. I think he's very close. Uh, Martha, uh, excuse me, uh, Marsha Blackburn's here, and she's still fired up over these hearings that are taking place this week. So much uh, so many roadblocks to getting to the truth at the border. So many roadblocks to getting to the truth about Afghanistan. And nobody's ever held accountable as we watch 2024 play out with a lot of intrigue. So, um Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe when the republic is crumbling, which it is, we need a fighter. And Donald Trump's that fighter. It's time we have someone that we can take a new generation into town and uh, we can kind of build on what President Trump started. And Governor DeSantis is a great guy to get behind to do that. Uh, There you go. Uh, that is Trump goes for early finishing, uh, finishing off of DeSantis. But I'm not too sure he can be finished off early. RFK Jr., I'm not too sure he can beat Joe Biden. But I know this. He already took out a chunk out of his polls. When will Joe decide if it's gonna, he's going to run or not? Number two. I don't really know who would actually have thought the Afghan government was going to survive. Everybody, this was the worst kept secret in Washington. The department simply was not fully prepared for the full range of challenges it encountered. <laughs> a maddening. The insulting denials on the border, the insulting denials about the responsibility of Afghanistan collapse. We'll talk about it. Number one. My client wants to come forward to Congress. He's ready to be questioned about what he knows and what he experienced under the proper legal protections. Typical steps that a law enforcement investigator would take were compromised because of political considerations. Whistleblower. About to blow up Biden? Perhaps. Certainly Hunter. All the indications are he's set to not only expose Hunter, but who is appointed to the Biden administration by the president and is covering up for him. We all wondered. I mean, you have all the evidence you need. The laptop is real. You see the money. You don't know where it went. You wonder what the IRS is going to ask any questions. I mean, you know, when the IRS looks at you and they audit you, you have to provide receipts for everything. This guy has got a laptop and a roadmap and a checkbook and three wives and hookers and crack and all this stuff. Obviously, he's got problems. But yet they can't seem to solve this case. And then factor something else into it. They got this gun situation. Did he lie in his application to get a gun that ended up in a dumpster outside a supermarket because his then girlfriend, which was his the widow of his brother, thought he was a danger to him and to her? I mean, that's how crazy this guy's life is. But do an investigation of that. I don't care about Hunter Biden. I really don't. I just care how it relates to an international scheme that might compromise our foreign policy and the fact that the president of the United States got away with it and actually knew that laptop was real, had no problem lying to everybody's face. And now the story by Miranda, Miranda Devine, and by the way, she everything she's done has panned out, is that those 51 intel experts from Mike Morrell to Leon Panetta to Michael Hayden to the despicable John Brennan and James Clapper, 51 who signed off on that laptop being classic Russian disinformation. It was commissioned by Tony Blinken, then an aide 
now the Secretary of State, all politics, all the time. And you cannot tell me that that did not play a role in the election. Because stats did even reveal, and no one's denied it, that if people had known how many international deals that Hunter Biden had done and his brother, Joe Biden's brother, and he had benefited from with other governments, it would have affected the election. Pretty significant. These are wild developments. And they're happening pretty quick. And then you watch the President of the United States struggle like he did in Ireland, not even having the guts or feeling the responsibility to have a joint press conference at the end. I mean, he sees the press traveling. You know how expensive things are. You know the fact that they're on Air Force One, they're eating, they're drinking, they're hoping to get one question. You once in a while turn around and answer a question. Meanwhile, there's this huge leak scandal. This 21-year-old leaks all of our documents or reveals that Ukraine's war strategy is going to be with their spring surge. You find out about spying about enemies and allies and U.N. general secretaries, and you're sitting there in Ireland. You come back, and now today you're having a a conference on green energy and progress made, nobody cares. And ridiculous restrictions on what comes out of your tailpipe and your car that he believes in theory will force everybody to go get an electric car. That's what he's doing while vilifying Kevin McCarthy for providing different ways to cut the budget that would in in turn allow him to raise the debt ceiling. Now he wants to talk about MAGA Republicans and they don't pay enough taxes and let's ban assault weapons. And then you have an ATF nominee that doesn't even know what an assault weapon is. Literally, he said that. What's an assault weapon? I don't really know. Okay. Why should that be any different from a guy that's going to run the FAA that the only thing he's done in an airport is clean it up? So that's why the guy didn't get the nomination, by the way. And that's why you have a a cross-dressing, mustache-wearing man in a dress being arrested, uh, part of an, uh, the assistant nuclear engineer or uh, head of the nuclear division being picked up for stealing luggage, women's luggage, we think. So the other big story is with Hunter Biden is this whistleblower coming forward. What's significant about what I'm about to play you is this is from CBS. Cut one. My client wants to come forward to Congress. He's ready to be questioned about what he knows and what he experienced under the proper legal protections. Typical steps that a law enforcement investigator would take were compromised because of political considerations. Why can't your client talk to us directly at this point? There are laws that provide protection to whistleblowers, and he has to navigate that. Yesterday, Lytle sent this letter to Congress claiming his client could provide information that would contradict sworn testimony by a senior political appointee. CBS News has learned that was Attorney General Merrick Garland, who gave testimony about the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware conducting the Hunter Biden investigation. Would you find any evidence or allegation of a political agenda? No. To him, the truth is one truth, and he wants to come forward with it. Lytle told us the whistleblower has been with the IRS for more than a decade and has extensive documentation to support his allegations. The things he's been through are are very well documented in emails and other communications with the Department of Justice. We asked Lytle if there's a chance his client can only see his slice of the investigation and not the big picture. Lytle said that's possible, but that his client had expressed his concerns to superiors a number of times 
before seeking whistleblower status. So that's why I played it. Not that it was some brilliant piece, but that CBS cared enough to air it and put together a package around it. And as far as I know, if you have a $2 million violation to the IRS and you have somebody pay it for you, first off, that's unprecedented. I never heard that before in my life. I heard it of family members, not $2 million, but people helping out. But I've never heard this. Somebody, some producer on Hollywood goes, listen, I, I want to give this guy a fresh start. He only did crack and, um, and does hookers. And, and his kid's at a wedlock and leaves his wife for his brother's widow and you know, failed the drug test to get kicked out of the army and does international trade deals and denies it and leaves laptops in private repair shops, computer repair shops, and then threatens to sue the guy that brings it forward when he don't come to pick it up. Let's give him a break. So that's mysterious, but they don't even want to pursue the investigation. And if it isn't in the backdrop of the fact that they're investigating Donald Trump over something from 17 years ago, they're investigating Donald Trump on Mar-a-Lago, they're looking over tapes about to, from three years ago on Georgia, and they're looking over his past business dealings, and you have an attorney general here looking for, seeing if he falsified information to a bank that does their own work, and he paid back all the loans. If they weren't doing these investigations while leaving that investigation, I probably wouldn't be nearly as curious. Cut to. We went into the Treasury uh, assuming that there were four or five Biden family members involved in this Biden family influence peddling scheme. We assumed there were about a dozen banks. We assumed there were uh, a certain number of suspicious activity reports. Uh, what we quickly learned from going through the thousands of pages of bank violations that were this family was involved in, there are nine Biden family members and counting, Sean, there are at least two others that I would bet money on will be implicated before long. There are many more banks that were involved. There were many more LLCs that were involved. This was a family enterprise. And what I think is significant, people go, okay, what's illegal? Okay, just expose it. For example, if Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan Chase, was to run for office, can you imagine how many different deals he has with different countries, big and small, who have infrastructure deals, big and small, uh, famous people investing in J.P. Morgan that maybe interacted with pictures of him in, in various St. Bart's and all these elite vacations might prevent him from running. But at least you would know, OK, look at all these deals. Is he going to be compromised? You know, he lent all this money to Kazakhstan or J.P. Morgan did or they invested in Brazil. And OK, I don't know. I, you know, I want to keep that in mind. Maybe I like that. Maybe I don't like that. So when Trump comes out and they say, you know, Trump's got hotels everywhere. He's got golf courses everywhere. All right. Is he compromised? I don't think so. And if I think he is, I'm not going to vote for him. If I think he does, I will vote for him. If I think it's going to help, another reason to vote for him. Rex Tillerson was hired as Secretary of State because he's done so many deals with different countries, including Russia, on oil. They thought his contacts would be invaluable. And being that Trump was a little bit different, they said to themselves, and I'll take a break after this, they said to themselves, let's just give, give Donald Trump an opportunity to be different and get Tillerson. Obviously, it didn't work. If Joe Biden just said, listen, I've done a lot of business dealings because I've been consulting with various countries and energy firms now that uh, while I was in office and out of which is illegal and now out of office, then people go, you know, I, he might be the guy. He might not be bad guy. He might be compromised. But they just deny everything. And then when you do anything, they say you're partisan or they silence you on social media or they say prove it or they have a friendly judge or an investigator that doesn't do anything. That's the problem. The two worlds. 
When we come back, we talk to Marsha Blackburn about all the frustration, but necessary investigation between what's happened at the border, Afghanistan, and beyond. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't see how Joe Biden could not be compromised. These family members aren't energy experts. They weren't on boards. At least with Burisma, Hunter actually sat on a board. There are no other boards that we can find that these family members sat on. Certainly not the the grandchildren and the nieces and the nephews and the in-laws and things like that. So what were they doing Why were they getting this much money? It all points back to Joe Biden. And we're going to continue until we get the truth to the American people. But I can say this, Sean, the walls are closing in on the Biden family. We'll see. Uh, That was what that, of course, was uh, was James Comer last night with Sean Hannity. Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me now. She's on the Finance, Judiciary and Transportation Committees uh, out of Tennessee. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. This must be a frustrating but necessary week for you. You had a bunch of people just not be candid talking about from Afghanistan. We're watching on the border. It's frustrating. It is frustrating because they come before us. And yesterday we had the IRS commissioner before us. In a few minutes, we're going to do a virtual meeting with him and talk about this issue with Hunter Biden. But, Brian, you are so Right. They won't tell us the truth about the border. They won't come clean with what is going on there. They won't tell us how they're going to arrive at $400,000 in income to protect people from increased audits. And we don't know if it's the gross, the adjusted gross, or the net net. We don't know. And people don't know. And I was talking with someone about this last night. They watched the hearing with the commissioner yesterday. They will not tell us the truth. So people don't know how to plan. And the IRS is saying, we're going to put the majority of the money in our budget. The biggest line item we have is enforcement, not customer service, (laughs) not updating their technology. It's enforcement. So they're going to come get you, even though they don't have the ability to tell you what they want you to do so that they won't come get you. It's crazy. The other thing, even on the leak, yesterday I'm watching Senator Blumenthal. We saw Senator Warner in the past. And others say this is totally not sufficient. They're not coming clean on what exactly was given up by this 21-year-old National Guard uh, Air Guardsman that was given all these right. sufficient leaks to embarrass this country with our enemies and our allies. And why in heaven's name did the kid have access to classified documents for an area where he has no need to know? You know, they are giving out these these clearances like they're Christmas stocking items. And you have all these people that have a clearance, a security clearance, and they have no business having that and no business having access to these briefings. This was an air guardsman. Why would he have access to top secret papers and briefings from the Pentagon? And they're not able to answer that one for us. They're not able to tell us how wide the universe is. Why are they continuing to let people who 
previously worked, previously worked, but no longer worked with the administration and had a security clearance, that clearance should stop the day that they walk out of public service. They should not be allowed to continue to get those briefings. I would imagine uh, that and also the biggest uh, and so we've talked about this before is Afghanistan and the way we left. Uh, they are just intent on blaming Trump, which is unbelievable. I wasn't thrilled with the way things were shaken out with Trump, but there's no way he would have left the way he left. Listen to Jamie Ratskin in the House, Cup 14. My Republican colleagues refused to examine the elephant on the battlefield. President Trump's disastrous decision to cut out the Afghan government and negotiate directly with the Taliban. Trump struck numerous bad deals and fateful bargains with the Taliban. Was, was this disaster Trump's fault? Or was this Joe Biden, the genius, uh, trumping everybody in his own uh, situation room? And what we want to know, and um, as we continue to look at classified briefings on this, Brian, uh, how much information and what was the content of those briefings and that information that was given to President Biden and why, who participated? Did he alone make that decision to come out of Afghanistan in the way that he did? We know that uh, what he was looking for was a date certain. He wanted to be able to say, uh, let's take a victory lap on September 11th. And he wanted to be able to say he had ended that war. He didn't. Uh, Senator Blackburn's got a Save Girls Act, which provides states and local governments and nonprofits vital resources they need to put an end to the trafficking of young women and girls, especially those coming across the border. The number's in the tens of thousands. Senator Marshall Blackburn, thanks so much. You got it. Take care. Chad Rober Show next. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't really know who would actually have thought the Afghan government was going to survive. Everybody, this was the worst kept secret in Washington about the capability of the Afghan government to survive. The department simply was not fully prepared for the full range of challenges it encountered. And there were emails from the State Department that we're trying to uncover and the both sides would like to know, at least most of them, would like to know what everybody knew ahead of time and why they thought they had a 300,000-person army. It was a lot smaller. It was not effective because we didn't provide the air cover and what that would mean. It seemed no one wanted to know the answer, in my humble opinion. At least let me get the communiques to see who ignored what. Uh, which brings me to my next guest, Chad Robichad, former, uh, former uh, Force Recon Marine the co-founder of the Save Our Allies and the author of Save Aziz, How the Mission to Help One Became a Call to Going to Save Thousands because when we left everybody behind, that's when Chad and others sprung into action. Chad, must have been maddening to watch or hear back some of the testimony yesterday. Yesterday, I mean, it's it, it just it's heartbreaking. I mean, not, uh, on a couple of levels, uh, I mean, and we could go on and on all the different levels, but one is, you know, uh, I think first and foremost, 
is the Afghan people. Look up, you know, 40 million people are there living in tyranny because of the decisions our president made. Uh, 20 million women and little girls are immediately uh, become sex slaves for the rest of their lives. These are women that some of the women that only knew freedom were born into freedom. That were doctors and journalists and teachers and and uh, and, and worked in the government. They're now sex slaves with no human rights whatsoever, not even medical care. Uh, and then the, you know the, the fact that I know we still have Americans that are left behind, trapped there. Probably some of them in prison that we don't even know about, and our government's not even looking into. Uh, and then there's a national security issue. We gave up the most strategic place in the globe between Iraq, Iran, Russia, and China, and, and we essentially didn't give it to the Taliban. We sold it to our enemies. Uh, and, and when I say enemies, uh, China, Iran, Pakistan, ISI, uh, who's not our ally, by the way. And, uh, and, and we're, the world is a much more dangerous place because of it now. And, and now we know that we are, we're funding. I mean, and, and Inspector General Spoko said it perfectly. Uh, we are funding the Taliban right now. United States taxpayer is funding the Taliban, and I think it's important to remember uh, that currently in Afghanistan, right. the Taliban flag is flying over Kabul, not the Afghan flag. The Taliban is is not a country. It's not a government. They're the world's most atrocious and evil terrorist organization who rapes children, sexually enslaves women, and kills those who oppose them. And that's who we're sending this money to with no congressional oversight. Uh, we've already given them $2 billion, and we're about to give them another $3.5 billion. How, how could that be allowed? I mean, how could that be allowed without congressional? Who writes a $3 billion check without people looking over their shoulder? Here is John Sopko, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. He was quite frustrated, says he's been blocked every step of the way. Cut 10. It is critical that our assistance not be diverted by the Taliban. Unfortunately, as I sit here today, I cannot assure this committee or the American taxpayer we are not currently funding the Taliban. Nor can I assure you that the Taliban are not diverting the money we are sending from the intended recipients, which are the poor Afghan people. That's exactly what you were saying. And the inspector general says, after my exhaustive research, I'm pretty sure they're getting it. And, you know, I think there's... He's he's almost being a little kind by saying, "Who knows what they're doing with it?" But we have to remember who the Taliban is. Eighteen months ago, they were the enemy of the United States. They were they were who our service members were fighting for the last twenty years to keep the world uh, free uh, of terrorism. That's who the Taliban is, and that didn't change because uh, President Biden made a decision to pull out the, the U.S. troops. They signed this Doha agreement, which says in the Doha agreement that they can't allow terrorism to take place in, in Afghanistan. Well. The Taliban are terrorists, so that the violation of the Doha agreement I- I exists with just who signed the paper, uh, and, and we've seen within days of, of U.S. pulling out you know, the Taliban executing our allies on the streets and, uh, and with no repercussions. We've seen them start to, to buy little nine-year-old girls uh, and, and, and sexually enslave them. You were so, seeing that? But, yeah, I mean there's videos, and, and by the way, you know, media, main, mainstream media outlets would not uh, air – uh, those videos and and, and I, I've seen them and they're they're readily available to see and you know no one wants to talk about it no one wants to speak up for for the atrocities that are happening there and uh, and we're we're funding the U.S. taxpayer right now is funding terrorism and what what really bothers me about all this is that the left has done such a good job of making everything partisan that you can't even call this out right now we can't even have this conversation right now with someone thinking that we're just on the opposite side of the aisle this is a partisan issue we're attacking Biden because he's not Trump. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. This is this is a, 
affects our national security to every American. It affects the world security, and it's it's just on, on a human level, it's it's right. so wrong to to do this to other people. This is not a partisan uh, issue or, or or conservative issue. This is, should concern every American. The suit, the recruiting weight rate in our military right now is at all time low. 30% down. I, I was just at Marine Corps boot camp last week uh, speaking and teaching, and they can't even recruit the numbers they need for the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps all, never had a problem with recruiting because every young man and woman wants to be a United States Marine. They can't get enough people. And uh, one of the reasons why is multi-generational families like myself who have served in every war since World War II, Korea, Vietnam. I was in Afghanistan eight times. My son was in Afghanistan. Uh, most uh, A lot of multi-generational families. I was with this retired Navy SEAL friend of mine last weekend. He's his son wants to join the Navy and be a SEAL, a uh, multi-generational SEAL, and he won't let him. He's like, no, like I can't, I can't let my son serve and, and what's going on right now. Uh, and, and the veteran suicide rate, we, we were just at a, a funeral. One of my staff members at a funeral this week of a, uh, a CIA member, former, former Delta Force operator that took his life because of primarily his family's relating it to the withdrawal of Afghanistan. And we dealing at Mighty Oaks Foundation dealing with so many veterans who are struggling because of withdrawal of Afghanistan. You feel like it was all for nothing. Yeah, because, you know, I, I thought Lieutenant Colonel uh, Douglas had a good point, or Colonel Douglas had a great point. He said, next time you decide to end a war, ask some of the 1% that served it. And we'll let yeah. you know if it's okay, because most people, they know, if you want to come back and keep 2,500 there to keep that country, give that country additional time to stand itself up, we would have done it. Instead, you embarrassed what they've, what you, all you guys accomplished, never losing a battle, adjusting to the, uh, adjusting to the battlefield, training nonstop, uh, giving these people a 20-year shot at freedom. Pakistan needs to be held accountable. But I think that was really maddening is what I heard you say this morning about their rare earth. The minute we left, China got the contracts for the lithium and the rare earth that Afghan has. Yeah, you know, about a month before, uh, I'd say it was probably July, I made a statement saying, you know, one of the main reasons the this administration is going to pull U.S. military out of Afghanistan is, is because of the rare mineral, minerals in the Hindu Kush mountains, the lithium there, trillions of dollars. And, and China is pressuring the White House for us to leave so they could have access to it. And, of course, I was called a conspiracy theorist and, and all these things by uh, people on the left for saying that. But yet one week after we were gone, the Taliban gave China the mineral rights to the Hindu Kush mountains for trillions of dollars of lithium. In addition to that, they're, they're now moving – uh, sanctioned oil from Iran across Afghanistan to China. The only thing that was stopping them before was the U.S. military's presence being there. And you, you nailed it earlier. We had 2,500 troops there. I can name 10 places in the world right now that we had 2,500 troops. The mainstream media in the White House lied to the American people that said we were in this 20-year endless war. We were in a support and advisor role to the Afghan National Army. The entire international community were participating, and we were keeping the world a safer, a safer place. Um, we still have 80,000 troops in Japan. We still have 40,000 troops in Germany, 35,000 in South Korea. So America having these contingents around the world doesn't keep us in long-term wars. It prevents us uh, right. because it makes the world a more stable place. And uh, you know, the American people have been lied to. And, uh, and well, unfortunately, well, look, the, the whole thing enough that we can believe it. Even when President Trump was coming out and saying, we've got to get out of Afghanistan, there was no clamor to get out of Afghanistan. What he could have done, too, is say, listen, this is why we're there. This is what our presence would bring. And what you just described, Bagram, if anyone just create a map of your own, just take a look. Understand that Iran's our enemy. Understand that Pakistan can't be trusted. Understand that China's right there and Russia's right there. And this is what we're doing. We're giving people an opportunity to grow, to have a life. And while we're doing it, we have a periscope on all our enemies and find out what they're up to. And with this fortified military base, 
And the one thing people should realize about the previous administrations, it was conditions-based. Whatever deal was signed, as soon as they show that they're breaking it, they would have been attacked and pushed back. And that's just yeah. it. I believe I believe one, you know, President Trump, uh, and I'm not, not defending President Trump on this because I, I even – even though I supported President Trump's administration, I was, you know, uh, I wasn't happy with this. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, I don't think he should have been talking to the Taliban in this. But nonetheless, he gave a terms and conditions, not a timeline. President Biden gave a timeline, and then he crumbled when he tried to extend it. You know, you never give a timeline. You give terms. We will leave. And again, I don't agree with leaving, but we will leave when we get every American out and we get our allies out. We'll get our $80 billion in equipment out. Uh, we will leave when we want to leave on our terms, not your timeline. And they, we gave that to the Taliban. And I also think President Trump would have not just given the conditions. I believe he would hand at Bagram Air Force Base. And this is a – I talked to Secretary Pompeo, and he, he validated this. Uh, we would have gave Bagram Air Force Base not to the Taliban but to the international community who was already serving there and, and participating to keep terrorism at bay. But we abandoned that base without even informing our allies. We didn't even negotiate. This is, this is a question that should be asked in these hearings. Why did we only speak to the Taliban? We didn't speak to the, our international allies that were serving there. I know. We didn't speak to any other leaders, and we didn't even speak to the Afghan government that we spent 20 years putting in place. We only spoke to the Taliban. Which is amazing. We have NATO in there putting forces in that doubled ours in total, totality. I know you guys were more effective and, and that you were more engaged. I got it. But you had a presence there. And they found out through news reports that we're pulling out. So they were yeah, unprepared. Yeah. And then you guys aren't allowed to leave the wire, or at least the enlisted guys are, uh, the uniform, 82nd. They're not allowed to leave the wire to go get people. Meanwhile, the, the British are running to get people. Everyone else is going to get people, the Polish. But we're not leaving to go get some of our people. Our State Department, I find out in the after-action report, hanging out and having drinking the day before they leave, were angry that they couldn't take all their luggage with them on the exit. Meanwhile, they would not even work at night to uh, pass people through and screen them before they got in the cargo jets. They wouldn't work. As soon as it got dark, they called it a day. So here's yeah, – it, go ahead. The, I was going to say – and a lot of people don't understand how, why that happened that way, why other countries were going out and extracting their citizens, and, and we wouldn't allow – when I say we, we are United States military service members who wanted to, were not allowed to go out and get Americans, get allies. And the reason why is because the White House took the NEO operation away from the Department of Defense and gave it to the State Department and put Secretary Blinken over the authority of the NEO operation, which is the non-combatant evacuation operation. And that's crucial because that is not a State Department function. That is not their job. And so Secretary Blinken's State Department treated that airport like an embassy, meaning anybody that got in was safe, but there's no going out. The military was used as gate guards of that, of that uh, HKI airport. And that cost American lives, uh, civilian American lives that got left behind, thousands, by the way. And, and again, another thing that was uh, accused of lying about, but now we know in the hearings that there was over 1,000 Americans left behind. Uh, and then it cost 13 of our service members' lives, and, and it embarrassed our military and, and weakened our country uh, by, by doing right. it that way. Chad Robichaud, our guest, uh, he's uh, still with Save Our Allies. If you guys want to give to a great organization um, – Give to save our allies because they could use some support because they're getting people out on their own dime. I want you to hear some of this exchange, cut six, about how everyone should not have been surprised that the Afghan army uh, was not going to withhold, was not going to hold, cut six. I don't really know who would actually have thought the Afghan government was going to survive. Everybody, this was the worst kept secret in Washington about the capability of the Afghan government to survive. The department simply was not fully prepared for the full range of challenges it encountered. 
So there's a there's evidently um, there's evidently cables that show that the State Department was saying that uh, the Afghan army is not going to hold, and it was exchanges were made, but it, these were ignored, and nobody wants to release those cables. Why do you think that is, Chad? Of course not. This whole thing from day one has been to protect the White House and President and President Biden. I mean, this is everything. Look, I, you know, I wrote the book Saving Aziz. The Pentagon held that book for five months and uh, and and made sure it didn't get released before the midterms. Uh, everything, you know, every, every, it's uh, every effort to yeah. continue to evacuate people by NGOs like. Uh, Save Our Allies, yep. uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation, which is my foundation, uh, uh, Mercury One, uh, Task Force Argo, all these amazing organizations trying to move people. The one obstacle that we faced wasn't the Taliban. It was our State Department that was going in and undermining us and stopping us from evacuating people. Think about Not that, Not because statement. they cared about getting yeah. Afghans out. They, they, they cared about us embarrassing the White House. Chad Rober- this whole thing has been to carry, cover the, for the White House. It's outrageous. Uh, Chad Show, thanks so much. Appreciate what you do. Absolutely. God bless, man. Thank you. All right. Back in a moment, you're going to hear from Mayor Suarez and how he called out Governor DeSantis. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I had a chance to talk to Mayor uh, Mayor Suarez this morning, and why is that important? Because it looks like he's going to be another politician who's very successful from Florida, very successful in Miami, and he was also head of the uh, Mayor Association. So he's been doing everything, going to Nashville for the GOP convention, show up in Iowa, show up in uh, South Carolina, showing up over in um, uh, New Hampshire, Iowa, all the beginning states. So I think he's running. So he came on with me, and he has no. I said to myself, you know, I wonder how come I don't have him and DeSantis together and researching it. They don't get along. Rick Scott doesn't get along with Governor DeSantis either. Now Trump and DeSantis. Let's listen to what he said to what whether he's running or not. For you to run, there's got to be a lane. How are you different than Ron DeSantis, who I understand you haven't really spoke to since January? You guys don't have a good relationship, right? Well, I, he, he seems to struggle with relationships generally. I mean, I look people in the eye when I shake their hands. Uh, you, you had mentioned earlier in the program that he doesn't uh, get along with uh, the governor. He's had a real struggle uh, with the Florida congressional delegation, much, most of which are supporting uh, the former president. Uh, there was an article last night that talked about the fact that uh, he wasn't even calling people personally, that his fundraiser was the one, or his, uh, I think, poster was the one that was calling, uh, you know, congressional leaders for support. I think it was Vern Buchanan that came out in the Washington Post last night. You know, I'm comfortable being a retail politician. I'm comfortable uh, uh, talking to people. I just came back from New Hampshire. Before that, I was in South Carolina uh, and Iowa and Nevada. And uh, these are are, are states that are approximately the size of Miami-Dade County. And, you know, you have to be able to be comfortable. And you don't think he's uh, a good one-on-one politician. And but now so if you feel as though you're a better politician than the governor, how are you better than the former president? Well, I think you have to be able to connect with people. I think in terms of, of, of the former president, I really believe in generational leadership. And I don't mean that as a buzzword. I think a lot of candidates are throwing that around as a buzzword. I think uh, you get a 30 to 40 year improvement in a public official. I saw it in Miami. And uh, it's important when you have this hyper-competitive landscape where China and the Middle East is rising and China is becoming a greater and greater threat. And you have technologies like artificial intelligence, uh, quantum computing. They're going to define the next generation. 
We need public officials that understand these uh, these technologies, understand how to uh, take advantage of these opportunities, and also how to regulate them for our country's benefit. Right, and I do believe that he feels as though the president, uh, he feels the president's abrasive approach might not be able to win over moderates, and he thinks with his uh, with his background, he walking across, working across the aisle. Cuban descent, knows what it's like to be a minority, seeing the success of Miami, the tech center, being young, cutting deals, just cut the deal, help cut the deals with uh, Miami FC that's going to, uh, that David Beckham's team to get that stadium done. He feels like he can do it. I don't necessarily, I don't subscribe to the thing with Ron DeSantis. I think he's he's fine one-on-one, but that does seem to be what people are trying to attack him on. But in Ron DeSantis, I almost would feel complimented because if everyone's hitting me, I must be a threat. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.